All right, we're into Daniel chapter 3. It's one of the um, one of the more fun chapters, I guess, to be able to preach about. It's a, it's a narrative, and as I said, the book of Daniel, it has narrative, it has prophecy, it has history. Uh, this is the retelling of a story, and yet in this story, there is so much that we can garner, so much that we can... Uh, that we can learn from. And my prayer is, is that even though we're just rereading a story, that it will come alive in our hearts this morning as we look at this passage. And so, uh, just like last week, it's the whole chapter. There's 30 verses in this chapter. We're going to be going through them all. But if you want to open your Bibles and have uh, Daniel chapter 3 open, that would be great. And we'll also put it up on the screen as well in the NIV. And so, just last week as we left, we left here, and Daniel had just interpreted a dream from King Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> and he had saved his life in the process. Because King Nebuchadnezzar decided, I had this dream, it's disturbed me, and none of my, my magicians or wise men or, or satraps or anybody could identify what this dream said and could tell me its meaning. And so he decreed that all the wise men, all of the kind of the political figures in the land, they should be murdered and killed. And that included Daniel. And Daniel asked for some time. He asked for some space to be able to, to go to his God, the living God, and ask what this dream meant. And he was able to interpret this dream. He was able to unwrap it uh, for King Nebuchadnezzar. And as we left last week, Nebuchadnezzar had just proclaimed that Daniel's God was the true living God. He, it was almost like he was preaching everybody there he was saying this is the only true living God this is the God of Daniel and he is obviously mightier and stronger than any of the gods that we've made up now as we enter today we don't know the time frame we don't know exactly what's been going on uh, and how long it's been but Nebuchadnezzar has started to slip back into many of his old habits many of his old ways now I think it's it, it's kind of great that today is the last Sunday in January, because at the very first of January, some of you probably made some thoughts and some plans. You wanted to drop a few pounds, and, and you, you start seeing these, these, these things on the internet about how the regular gym attenders hate January because it's packed, but by the end of January, there's barely anybody in there. And so when we think of King Nebuchadnezzar slipping back into his old ways, we can't really be that judgmental because so many of us are just like that. We have great plans. We, we, we started this year maybe saying, you know what, I'm going to read through the Bible this year. This is going to be the year. And that first week it was great and you got through Genesis and you were just on fire for that. And maybe as the month's gone on, you've missed a day or two. And I want to encourage you, if you've done that, just keep going. There's no written law that says if you finish next January 30th that you've done something wrong. Keep going forward in the word of God. But King Nebuchadnezzar had short-term memory. And we're going to see that happening here in the first seven verses. And so let's, let's read those first seven verses together. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication 
of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before it. Then the, then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All right. So that's a, that's a mouthful. There's a lot of instruments. There's a lot of, of, of political people gathered there that are listed in these first seven verses. First of all, before we go any further, I want to talk about this image of gold. It was 60 cubits high, Scripture says. That's about 90 feet high. So substantially high. If you're not sure what that would be, imagine nine basketball hoops stacked up on top of one another. And six cubits wide, which is only nine feet wide. So most scholars would say, actually, it would kind of be a weird-shaped idol because it wasn't that wide, but it was quite tall. But what we do know is that it would have been something that you would see on this plain of Dura. It was something that every direction that you looked towards that, that plain, you would see this idol, this, this statue of King Nebuchadnezzar made of gold. Now, it's one thing to be so proud of yourself that you agree to have a statue of yourself made. But here's the problem. Here's the demand that they made. They were demanded to bow down and worship this idol. Now, he not only built this, this statue, Nebuchadnezzar, he demanded that, that, that all of his, his subjects, all of the people that worked for him, that they, they show this demonstration of adoration towards him. And so, Scripture is pretty clear. He says he calls this, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to attend its dedication. So there would have been a lot of government people standing there. And Nebuchadnezzar is using this moment as a time to remind them of who they follow, who they work for. And, and we don't know if, if maybe there was a problem in the land and people were threatening his power. We don't get any sense of that. But what we do get a sense with King Nebuchadnezzar is that he often has this inability to have um, an inner strength. He's often led by others. People whisper into his ear, and it sounds like a good idea, and he goes with it. He obviously had a bit of a short-term memory, uh, but he also had a bit of a low self-esteem, I'm guessing. Because most of us wouldn't demand some of the things that he demanded of his followers, of his people, that he does. Maybe here's a blunter way to put those who attended this ceremony. Invited to this event were all the people who Daniel had pleaded with to be saved by the king's decree in chapter 2. Just last week, Daniel saves himself and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he also pleads for the wizards and for the magicians and for all the other people that were, were into black magic and against the living God. He still pled for their lives. And suddenly, all those people that Daniel stuck stood out and he pleaded for their lives, they're about to turn some of them on, on Daniel's friends. And so as this chapter progresses, I want you to remember that, that these are people that had recently 
been saved. Now, we have to look at conformity versus disobedience for a second here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they could have knelt before this idol. They could have. And history wouldn't have told us because we would never have, have been looking at this passage of Scripture in Daniel. History wouldn't have told us. Probably everyone that was around would have just thought, well, we all did the same thing. They wouldn't have thought anything of it. And no one in society would have noticed that Babylon and, and, and Babylonian society actually held a place, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, for other gods. The worship of any and every god was encouraged because a lot of them thought, well, if we can keep some of our conquered lands, if we allow them to continue to worship their gods, they're less likely to cause us problems. They're less likely to try to overthrow us, and everybody will just be happy. But disobedience is tricky here because we have to decide, are we going to disobey God or are we going to disobey culture? And that was the choice that they had to make. And it seems easy as we tell and we retell this story uh, to our kids in Sunday school that at the sound of the horn, the flute, the, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, um, that, that you were just simply to bow down. Nobody's really going to care. I'll bow down is, is what, what even some of the others that maybe were there thought as they listened. But we recognize something in these first few chapters of Daniel. Daniel and his friends had decided right from the beginning that we will not change who we serve. We will not change who we worship. And so the king's order is given. The music starts, and I'm guessing it was more than just one of each of these instruments. It was probably a loud uh, music, and you wouldn't miss it at all. And it says, all the people all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Or so he thought. King Nebuchadnezzar is, is, is standing there and he's probably, and I said, I think he had some self-esteem issues. He, he really enjoyed the attention. And he's probably standing there and he's seeing all of his government officials bowing down before this image of him. And he's probably full of pride and joy and excitement. But something is about to change. He didn't notice it. But let's pick it up in verse 8. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of other music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Remember, these are the people whose lives had just been saved. And yet we get a sense of what was going on here. Because they say themselves, the people that you put in charge of the provinces, over the affairs of the province, they're jealous. They're thinking, these are these people that are following their own gods, doing their own thing, listening to this God that, that has shown his power, and they're not showing any regard for the king. And they're saying, 
let's use this as a way to restore some of the power that maybe we've lost to some of these foreigners. And here are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're sticking out like a sore thumb. You can imagine if everybody was, was, was kneeling over and doing everything that they were asked, and in that crowd there are three people that are standing, you're going to be noticed. They're standing tall during this call to worship and bow down this image of the king. Now, let's pause there for a second. Because where was Daniel? We don't know. And, and so I want to talk about that just briefly for a second. Um, but Scripture doesn't really tell us. Now, there are some possibilities that many theologians have given. Uh, first of all, uh, many would say that Daniel, who was ruler over the entire province of Babylon, and he was in charge of all of its wise men, we hear in, in Daniel 2.48, had been sent away and he was on an assignment somewhere. Some people say because of Daniel's promotion and his place in the royal court, Nebuchadnezzar had exempted Daniel from the command, maybe. And then there's some people that say Daniel, in fear of being executed or to appease the king, bowed down to the golden statue. Now, option three can obviously be discounted because we see all through Daniel that Daniel doesn't really care what other people think of him. Daniel is, is committed to worshiping God. And so we can strike that one right off the bat. Most people kind of land on the idea that he was probably not present. He was probably in another area of the country. But we don't really know. Now, that being said, here's what I do know based on what I just said. We see all throughout Daniel that he was committed to God and God alone. If he had been there, he would have been in that furnace of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I can tell you that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Now, why did these astrologers pick on these three young Jewish men? And I think I, I've already said that. They were jealous. They wanted to restore the order that had been disrupted back when Daniel interpreted that dream. They wanted to restore what was no longer possible for them and they had lost a lot of the luster on who they were and a lot of, of their power. And so they're thinking, how do we get this back? Well, let's attack those that are worshiping this living God. Let's go after those that we know have power because of their God. Now, if you've seen what Daniel's done already, if you understand that Daniel, under the power of his God, was able to interpret the king's dream, and even to interpret it without being told what the dream was, you should understand that maybe you shouldn't be playing uh, around with this. That maybe this God whom they serve is an actual living God and you should be respectful and honoring of that God. But they weren't like that. Their one sole desire was to bring down those which had been raised up. They didn't learn that the God of heaven and earth was stronger than anything they could do. And so they go to Nebuchadnezzar, and in verse 13 to 18 it says, Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Short-term memory again. He should know that by this point. Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. 
But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. I love this line. Then what God will be able to rescue you from your hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I love that. We don't have to defend ourselves. God is in control. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What a powerful statement, isn't that? And last week I told you about death threat number one on these, on these uh, young men. This is death threat number two. And the king is saying, listen to what I'm saying or you will die. Stand up or bow down. Those are the only choices you have to make. And if you're King Nebuchadnezzar, you're thinking it's an easy choice. Bow down, save your life. Bow down, go on with your life, and everybody's happy, and we can continue this celebration. But if you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and you recognize that there's only one true God, that there's only one God that they serve, that decision isn't so uh, easy as the king is led to believe. Now, here again, I, I think that Nebuchadnezzar, he's craving that attention. How dare these three young men decide that they're not going to bow down to this image? He's the most powerful man in the world, and he's constantly looking for affirmation. And, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we see in the scriptures, they're not having any of it. Even, our, our, and they say, he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. They're talking about God. In verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So it's an easy decision in King Nebuchadnezzar's mind. Bow down, let's go on. But isn't it interesting that with their lives on the line, the decision for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is the exact same easy decision. We're going to serve our God. They didn't have to get together. They didn't form a committee. They didn't say, we're going to pray about this. They were so grounded in their knowledge of who God was, his might, his power, that they just said, we will not serve your gods. And I love the fact here that there's this part of them that recognizes that God might in fact save them from this. But isn't it neat that they say, but even if he does not, we want you to know. He's saying, even, they're saying, even if our God saves us, that's wonderful, that's what we hope for. But even if he doesn't, even if this is the day that our lives end on this earth, even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to these fake and false images. We will continue to serve God and God alone. What a beautiful image of how we are to live. What a beautiful reminder of being prepared for these moments moments in our lives we stand up for our faith before they happen we talked about that daniel didn't just get wise over over the snap of a finger he had been following after god for all the years of his young life and so here's the question in verse 15 king nebuchadnezzar says what god will be able to rescue from my hands now king nebuchadnezzar what are you forgetting You've seen God's power on display. 
You know that God is alive. You have proclaimed it to your whole nation. The God of Daniel is the one and only living God. He's literally said that. And here is here he is, and he's looking at these three young men, and he's kind of mocking them. What God is going to save you from my hands? And he's saying, I'm more powerful. I have more uh, to... to to, to do with your living or your dying than anybody else in this world. And I love their answer in verse 16. We don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. They're leaving what is going on to God. They're not fighting. They're not arguing. They're not, they're not begging for their lives. They're saying, it doesn't matter what you think. We don't need to defend ourselves before you because we know who we serve. And we know, like I just said, we know they had no clue if God was going to save them because they use that term, even if he doesn't. They weren't sure what the next few minutes were going to look like. And in verse 19, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual, and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into a, the blazing furnace. <coughs> Excuse me. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head, heads singed. Their ro robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. That in itself is a, is, is an, a miracle. That no smell of the fire, they weren't singed. What happens after a campfire? You go home and your coat stinks like the campfire, your hair smells, all your clothes smell, and you love it, but you smell it. It's, it's something that you're aware of. This summer we were in, uh, in, in the backyard of one of the church families and we were around a campfire and we were quite a ways away from it, but this little ember went off of the fire, it landed on my shoe, and it burnt into my shoe, into my foot, to the point where I had to take my shoe off and brush it and I had a little burn. Like, this was just a tiny fire, and I felt impacts of it. And here is this fire that's seven times hotter than what it was when it began. The soldiers who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the flames, they were killed because of the intense heat. And imagine them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they, they're just walking around in this furnace. We don't know if they're talking. We don't know what's going on. We don't even know if they could see this fourth individual, the son of of, of, of the angel that was with them. But King Nebuchadnezzar notices. And again, he begins to think, what is going on? How is this happening? And, and 
what King Nebuchadnezzar meant to show his power for his government, for his kingdom, instead showed God's power. And I love that. He, he calls them out. He says, come here. And in the name of the most high, true living God, again, here's the second time that King Nebuchadnezzar, in the, in the place of three chapters, proclaims God as the one and only living God. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was at a crossroads here. He wanted to be liked. He wanted to be loved. He wanted his nation to fall down before him. And when he wasn't being heard, he reacted in anger. He threw these three young men into the furnace. And I wonder then, what do we do when we don't feel heard? What do we do when, when we're unsure and, and, and maybe somebody thinks differently than us? Well, first of all, our attitudes change. We, we, we get to the point where we're like, I can't believe they don't think like that. We get angry and we get defensive. We all know that feeling when, when we think we're right and, and we just have something to say and we just got to say it. And we want justice. But see, I've noticed our version of justice served. And others get harmed by our actions collaterally. King Nebuchadnezzar wanted their attitude to change. He wanted to see them bow down and worship this image. And when they didn't, Scripture said that his attitude towards them changed. They got angry. He got, he got defensive. And he wanted justice served. But he didn't just want them to die. He was so angry, he said, I want them to feel this this furnace, even before the thrown in. And they stoke that fire and it gets hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter. And he, he has his strongest soldiers tie them up. They stood willingly. I don't know where they thought they were going to run, but they stood willingly before that. And then suddenly, as they're throwing them in, these, these soldiers, the strongest, toughest soldiers, they die from the flames. Others are getting harmed by King Nebuchadnezzar needing to have attention. He craved the attention, but he was also getting manipulated by his advisors. King Nebuchadnezzar needed that little hit of attention. That little bit of people to say, hey, you are great. And when we don't feel heard, even today, and it's never to this degree, but when we don't feel heard, we just, we want people to understand us. We want to be liked. We want people to think that we're doing things well and we're doing them right. And when they don't follow along, we have some of the same traits as King Nebuchadnezzar, don't we? It's horrible to think that, but, but it's true. We're not a lot different. We just don't get to hold the same amount of power that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And yet here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their attitudes did not change. We are following after God. They're given a death sentence. They don't get defensive. They don't say a word. They don't get angry. They just humbly go to what has been told is going to happen to them. They hoped God would step in, but they had no way of knowing. And I'd want to be more like that. I don't want to be defensive. I want to have the Spirit of God living in me in such a way that I'm humble. That we're meek, that we 
are strong in our faith and people know that beyond a shadow of a doubt and we don't back down in our faith, but they know that we are actually serving this God. So often when we don't think God's doing what we want him to be doing, we get out in front of him. We lead the charge and say, come along, God. Let, let me lead you to where I think you should be moving. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they didn't do that. They, 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 they said, our God may save us or he may not. And they walked into that unknown. They walked into that uncertainty. And as a result, as they are in this furnace and this fourth uh, figure emerges, the, the angel, God's power is on display once again. And within the short span of two chapters, like I said, I don't know how much time it actually went by, King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man on earth, is reminded about who is in charge. He is brought down to a place where he recognizes that, yes, he's powerful, but there is one who is greater, one who is more powerful. How often do we take a leap of faith? How often when we think that things are planned out right, and we take that leap of faith, it doesn't work out. And there is a very real chance for these three young men that they would take a stand and the outcome would have been death for them. And so sometimes our steps of faith literally mean taking a step into that complete unknown. The outcome isn't certain. And yet we step into that, that gap knowing that regardless of the outcome, God will be honored. They were thrown into this furnace. And God had a plan. That fourth person offered protection. They could stand in this furnace and know that they were being protected. But that fourth person that angel was also a visible witness to everybody else who was gathered that something miraculous was happening. That the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was powerful and was alive. And if you think that it didn't impact those who, who were there, let's finish verses 28 to 30. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. God is the Redeemer. Even King Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that. He further acknowledges him that the three have been right to obey this God rather than a king like him. And for a brief moment there, we see this side of King Nebuchadnezzar that is humble and meek. And he's saying, this is a living God. And nobody is to put their hands on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because the God they serve is an honorable God and a living God. And he sounds great. And then he slips back in the old king, Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, if anybody 
disagrees with this, or if anybody does anything that I've said that you shouldn't be doing, they're going to be cut into pieces, and their houses are going to be turned into piles of rubble, of rubble, for no other God can save this way. So he, 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 he kind of came back and had another power play there. Yes, this is their God, but, but remember, remember that I still have a little bit of power here. I'm still a powerful person. I think, and I've always struggled with King Nebuchadnezzar. These proclamations of, of who God was, these proclamations of, of, the, of the king of, or the God of Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Did he see these things and then just simply forget? Did he dwell on them all the days of his lives? We don't know. We know he had a short memory and power got, got to him. But we know that the actions of these Jewish men, we know that the decisions they took to be strong in their faith impacted a whole empire. It stands to reason that we can impact our communities. That in keeping to our faith and saying and telling our communities in this world who we serve, we might just make a difference. Not because of anything we say or do, but because God is before us. And if God is standing with us, there's not a whole lot that we can't do. When we remember that we're simply the mouthpieces obeying his word. It's God who does the miraculous. It's God who does what needs to be done. So as you leave here, what's your takeaway? I want to remind you that we live in a world that is still full of idols today. Full of other gods, full of, of things that will pull us away from him. We have to be on guard. We have to be watching after our hearts. We have to be putting God first in our lives. Because there's so many distractions in this world that can grab us. And before we know it, we're just sucked right into it. And our faith has to go beyond what is in our, in our control. I can't just trust after God until something goes wrong. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, even if, even if he doesn't do this, he is still our God. Even if I lose everything, he is still my God. Even if I have disaster befall me, he is still my God. But our hearts have to be turned and tuned that way before those things happen. They were ready because they were prepared for what might happen. And so we give up control to God. And we don't give in to the ways of this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in this simple story that we've all heard many times if we've grown up in the church, that we see your power. We see you bringing down kingdoms, rising kingdoms up, bringing them down. We see you seeing us in our weakest moments, in our most frightening moments, and we know that you are in charge. Father, I pray that you would give us an understanding of who you are. Give us a deep knowledge and love for who you are. So that in those moments that are sure to come, in those moments where we have to choose between serving you or serving this world, we won't have to think about it. We'll just be prepared for it. 
Father, I pray that for each and every person gathered here today. Father, I pray that your name will continue to be proclaimed through our mouths and that you will be honored and praised. I thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen.